hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Right, welcome back to the next episode of BC Law's Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blakely. We're joined today by BC Law alumni Courtney Pillsbury, as well as FBI agent and recruiter. Are we talking about careers at the FBI today and uh, what you should know if uh, if you're interested? Uh, so, Courtney, thanks for, for coming out. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so before we get into anything, just tell me about BC Law. I understand you're an alum. Uh, you're just coming back to the campus today. What uh, What was that experience like? Um, I have to say I'm probably in the very small minority of students that on graduation day said that if somebody paid my tuition, I'd do it all over again. Okay. Um, it was hard, um, very rigorous, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a couple of years off in between college and law school, so uh-huh. I think that I attribute that to being able to come into law school a little bit fresher with an understanding of what the day-to-day grind is like when you're yeah. actually working um, and comparing that to academics. So. Okay. I really liked it. I was very involved in the oral advocacy competitions, so that was also another fantastic experience for me. Awesome. Now, did you know, uh, you know, like, because I know, like, a lot of students that come into law school, and they have, like, some idea of what law is like or maybe what they want to do, but did you know, like, FBI was the route, or were you not sure? Like, how did you start going in that direction? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I had always, growing up, I had always been interested in investigations. Mm -hmm. I would read books like Encyclopedia Brown, and there was a TV show. It was called The Bloodhound Gang. It was on After Sesame Street. All right. Um, It's quite a transition (laughs) from Sesame Street to investigation. It was like, you know, neighborhood kids, neighborhood kids solving neighborhood crimes. So very kind of Encyclopedia Brownish. So I really liked that stuff. Um, And then when I went to college, I went to Boston College as well, and started studying sociology. Sociology. And mm-hmm. that was obviously sociology is, uh, you know, under the um, uh, under the umbrella of sociology is criminology. Right. Um, and that's what really piqued my interest. I did an internship in my sophomore year, the summer between my sophomore and junior year with a probation department. Okay. And that's where I really credit that to kind of forming my the path that I thought I was going to take. Um, I really liked the intersection between like social work and mm-hmm. criminal justice that okay. probation officers um, played. Mm-hmm. And so this is an undergrad at this, this point. This was an undergrad. Okay. But in talking with the probation officers, I found out that most probation officers in Massachusetts had to have some sort of an advanced degree. Okay. Just graduating from college, you couldn't get a job. Right. So I said, well, if I'm going to get an advanced degree, mm-hmm. let's go law route, not master's in business, mm-hmm. not master's in social, you know, social work. Um, and so that's where I started thinking, okay, I'm going to take a couple years off after college, mm-hmm. see if I can you know, work for a little bit, and then apply to law school, thinking that was going to make me a little bit more competitive getting into law school. Um, and that's really where law school came in. Yeah. Um, where the FBI came in was after my first year of law school. Okay. I got to do an internship with the FBI okay, down cool. in headquarters. Wow. Now, now, how did that get? So you do your one L year, you know, one L. You're doing all the same courses. You're in the we're yeah. in the trenches, and uh, I, I can remember playing to one L. It's a little bit different. It's competitive. You know, you're just new to all of this. How did that? How did FBI get on your radar after one L? Yeah, they did. They came to campus early in the year, okay. so it was kind of. I think it was like September. Oh wow! So right it, when you started yeah, law school, yeah, they didn't. They did an information session. Cool. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I applied, and I think like most people who apply to the FBI, mm-hmm. almost every step of the way, you think. I'm not going to get it, right. you know, or yeah. you make it to the next step and you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to make it to the next step. Right. And so it happened. I got, you know, I got, um, 
I got an interview mm -hmm. and I started processing my background investigation. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to say sometime in February or March, mm -hmm. I was essentially told that I had the position uh -huh. and that come summer, um, I would be interning down at headquarters in Very Washington, cool. D.C. Now, at that point in time, I'm just curious, you, know, you have the, the honors program now over the summer. How different was it then that now? Like, did you get to pick that you wanted to go to headquarters? Was there an option to be like in Boston or yeah. how did it work then? Very, again, a really good question because yeah. it's a lot of um, what I I talk to interns about yeah. or intern applicants about now. Back then, mm -hmm. every field office, we have mm -hmm. 56 field offices, every field office got to choose two people okay. from their area of responsibility. So for Massachusetts, for Boston, it was Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Maine, okay. took applicants mm -hmm. and got to choose two people, and everybody went down to headquarters. They either went to headquarters proper in Washington, D.C., or they went down to the laboratory okay. at Quantico, Virginia. So it was a huge group of over 100 interns from across the country that all descended on Washington, D.C. Okay. for the summer. Okay. Um, it's made it a it made it a very different process than it is now. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, going as a, as a law student, because I can imagine that you, know, you get people from different disciplines. Like if you're going in a lab, you've got some sort of STEM background. Right. If you're going as a law student, how is that experience maybe a little bit different from people with other you know uh, degrees, education, et cetera? Yeah, I think they did a really good job of trying to match you with your specialty. So myself and another law student, we worked at, in the general counsel's okay. office. Um, so we both worked in the... Um, employment law unit representing okay. the FBI when sued by employees or processing mm -hmm. employment claims, employee claims. Okay. Um, other people who had STEM backgrounds, they mm -hmm. definitely were more focused on going maybe down to the lab and being able to use their biology skills right. or their chemistry skills. But generally, the interns that came in, you know, they were history majors, they were English majors, right. you know, and not, not yet quite specialized. Mm -hmm. So they were placed almost anywhere. I had a friend and a roommate who was at the um, Office of Congressional and Public Affairs. Mm -hmm. So she helped actually set up um, the FBI experience, like mm -hmm. the museum, okay. um, which was part of the public affairs Very you cool. know, piece. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was really, and it still is today, the way I like to think about the internship is it's just an introduction to the organization. Oh. It's just an, a way for you to really get a taste of what the organization is like, the people mm -hmm. are like. It's not necessarily to get you these lifelong amazing skills right right it's a it's a very short summer it's meant to be a recruiting opportunity for you to see a little bit about the organization got it got it now so i guess i would ask you know, between the fbi as things were then and how things are now you know, you've obviously spent a career with the fbi what's changed i mean I know that's a broad uh, question but i mean i can imagine starting then and you know doing what you're doing then is, is a little bit of a different experience from students today you know, it's a something of a different world i would think I think like anything, yeah. so I, I came in about 16 years ago, okay. it's technology, technology right? Yeah. I mean, I am not joking that when I came in, we were working on like a DOS-type computer oh system. Yeah. Our time cards were all handwritten time okay. cards. Um, and, you know, as kind of time went on, different computer systems became, you know, obsolete and right. were, you know, um, upgraded. Right. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. You know, we got a flip phone. You know, okay. that was the, that was what was, was issued to us. It was a big invention, you know, that came out. Uh, back in 2006. Okay. Uh, 
I would say that's probably the the biggest change okay. um, and something that, you know, everybody laments like, oh, yeah. well, back in my day, you right. know, I never thought that I would do that, but yeah. I do it, yeah. you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's a lot of good that has come about, you know, mm-hmm. from those changes as well. Yeah. So going from being, you know, an intern to eventually becoming an agent, what was that process? Like, did you need, you know, years of experience? Like, were there different, did you just go from the program to being an agent? Like, what was the process like yeah. to, to, do, to do that? So like I said, it was after my first year yeah. of law school. Right. So I still had two years left. But even then, um, the minimum requirements were very different than what they are now. Um, I was told by the recruiter that I still needed after law school. Mm -hmm. I still needed two years of professional work experience. So I at least knew that upon graduation, I wasn't going to be eligible to apply. Um, And maybe even if I was minimally eligible, I wasn't going to necessarily be competitive. So I knew going into my second and third year, I was going to have to find some sort of employment. Um, And I clerked for the Superior Court in Massachusetts for a short time after uh, graduation. It was a very unique situation because 9-11 hit our first month into the um, clerkship and you had the dot-com crash. So budgets were being cut everywhere. Um, So our class of Superior Court clerks Mm We were told by the Chief Justice, we were brought in one day, it was probably in November or December, we were brought in uh, as a class and said, we can either lay off a quarter of you right now, or you can all work for 75% of your pay and be released from your one-year contract to go seek employment. So we all decided as a class that we were going to, you know, obviously keep everybody on board, work for the, the, you know, the decreased pay. And then as people found jobs, they left. So they turned it over to you guys, like the class of clerks to the side? They basically... Do do you want to like vote a quarter of the people off the island? I mean, I don't even know how they would have done that. You know, I think, you know, we were all in different courts, right? Some were in Cambridge, some were in Suffolk, some were, you know, at the the courts all around Massachusetts. So I don't even know how they would have done that. Um, Had we not come back with, you know, like, let's just all stay on for... Until and some clerks stayed the full year, yeah. while the, some of us then found mm-hmm. other jobs and left midway through. And so during that time, I mean, there's always so much going on in the country, and you know, obviously in your career, you're just getting started. Were you still thinking like, oh, I'm just doing this to get back to the FBI, or do you start like thinking about like, you know, should I do other things? Like, what was the? It seems like a busy time to be trying to figure this all out. Yeah, I knew I still had quite a bit of time before I was mm-hmm. going to be a competitive applicant right. for the FBI special agent position. Yep. So I just started digging in and started applying. You know, I mean, yeah. this was back when you applied literally you looked up in you know you went to career services and you looked at every law firm I knew that my likelihood you know I thought all the big firms had already hired and that was a class my class was actually the class one of the classes where um, graduates were hired Mm -hmm. and then not 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 actually hired. They they were hired right. after their second year. So you went to like the summer program, but then when the economy went down, they canceled it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there were a lot of us out there looking, looking for, for jobs. Job. So I I kind of set my sights not only for just kind of the cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at small and medium sized firms. Okay. Um, and I was using every contact that I had. I had been a paralegal for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, in between 
college and law school. During law school, I had done some kind of law clerk work for a law firm. Okay. And so I was doing everything I could, but I was also working at Bertucci's. Okay. And we love Bertucci's. Yes. Yeah. And that is how I got my uh, next job. I was waiting on uh, an attorney yeah. who I had worked for. Okay. Um, he was there having dinner with a client. Okay. And I updated him on what was happening. I was yeah. like, I graduated. I passed the bar. I okay. got married. <laughs> and I said to him, literally, I said, hey, if you need any help, let yeah. me know. Yeah. And he said, call me on Monday. Amazing. And I started like two weeks later. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, we do so many of these podcasts and we talk to, to different folks. We talk to, you know, about uh, going to law school and networking and all these things. And that's something that's always a common theme. I always tell this to, to students, like just, you know, you never stop networking. Like you, yeah. so many roles come about, you know, sort of like in, in your example, like in ways you would have never imagined or anticipated. And so, you know, in today's day and age, of course, you know, you've got LinkedIn and everybody's Zooming and all, all this stuff that was probably different at the time. But yeah, no, the only good things I think come from that because you never know who's going to be the person that opens the door, or makes the connection, and you, yeah. you just always have to stay at it, that. It's hu- it's human contacts. Yeah. It's it's contacts. It's relationships. I mean, that will serve you for your entire life. Yeah. Whether it's trying to get into college, trying to get your kids into a preschool, trying to get a job, yeah. you know, whatever it is. I mean, those human relationships are are mm-hmm. absolutely critical. So sure. Yeah. Okay, so you uh, you get the work experience, and now you're mm-hmm. you're a more competitive applicant for the right. FBI. So now we're yeah. we're going back to the FBI. So yeah. what, what was it like at, at this point? So I had a really good couple of years um, at the law firm that yeah. I joined. Um, probably some of the most fascinating work that I've ever done, even now considering I'm in the FBI. And what kind of work was it? So I um, I represented hundreds of victims of clergy sexual abuse oh my. Um, okay. in the archdiocese case, oh. and um, it was. It was heart-wrenching, yeah. it was challenging, it was so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I have made lifelong friends yeah. with the attorneys that I worked with. I still have clients that are friends of mine. Wow. Um, but to be a part of that and a part of what I consider to be a lot of healing mm-hmm. that was needed. Um, and I was raised Catholic, yeah. so it was not easy for right. me to kind of confront all that we were learning mm-hmm. in, in working that case. But um, the two years were great, and I, I don't think I gave the FBI a thought wow. in the two years. Yeah. I was given a ton of responsibility by the senior attorneys. I was doing stuff that none of my peers mm-hmm. were doing in their jobs. Um, I had tremendous mentors. Um, but that ended. Yeah. You know, we, we negotiated a settlement. We did, went through hundreds of arbitrations where yeah. um, awards were granted to wow. each of the, the survivors. And... I then was um, assigned to work securities fraud, okay. an area that I was very unfamiliar with. At the firm or at the FBI? At the firm, right. but it was also representing the securities firms. Okay, so not it's a departure from what you were doing before. Yeah, yeah. and I could not wrap my head around it. Right. I couldn't wrap my head around wanting to do it, being motivated to do it, understanding what our obligations were. It was just there was a blockage there yeah. after having spent so much time um, working for what we would all can say, you know, the little guy. Right, right. right. And it was then when I applied to the FBI. So it was okay. like a three-month period wow. that I was assigned to do that work. And I yeah. said, this is not for me. Sure. So I put my application in, um, and that kind of started the, the wheels moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate because I then was was transferred to work another case, which was very fulfilling for the last two years okay. at the law firm. Okay. Um, my application took about two years from beginning to end. Wow. Okay. Um, 
for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, one of which was the relocation policy, mm-hmm. um, which is a hard thing for a lot of folks to get over when they apply. But as a special agent, you sign a mobility agreement. Mm-hmm. And that agreement says that you'll move anywhere that the FBI wants you to and needs you to. And at the time I was married, I had a husband who, right. I'm still married to the same guy. He <laughs> yeah, was a, okay. But um, at the time, he, yeah. we were settled here. He had a great job. We had yeah. friends and family. It's and hard to think about moving. Yeah, yeah, it was a really hard thing. So I put my application on hold for a little while okay. until we could kind of figure out if this was going to be the right thing. Okay. Um, and if I could just pause, you, you mentioned some of the, the work you were doing. I mean, that's such a yeah. substantial topic, particularly in, in, in Boston and yeah. you know, thinking about that, that point in history. What was... And it's hard to to put the right words to it because some of these things, there's just no words for it. But I guess the Boston legal community, the the atmosphere, so this point is like 2002. Like, Mm -hmm. what was it like to be a lawyer in Boston then working on something that is, I think, the most preeminent case in the region, in the country, in many cases, the world at that point in time? Yeah. Um, it was a lot for a young uh, lawyer, right. but I am so grateful that mm-hmm. I was surrounded by experienced, wonderful, mature mm-hmm. lawyers yeah. that were able to help me. Um, and I credit them. They, they gave me responsibilities that I never would have gotten anywhere else, right. and they trusted me. And yeah. I think them trusting me gave me confidence right. to do the work. Um, I loved working with the clients. Sure. Um, I had the day-to-day contact with the clients. Um, a little bit of courtroom experience. Mm-hmm. Most of that was done by the senior lawyers. Um, but I was also on TV and like new, like local cable news, talking on panels about like the effects of this yeah. on people. Yeah. And um, I really enjoyed the you know the discussion of kind of the constitutional law issues and yep. the issues of charitable immunity and like learning these like big hefty kind of legal topics right. and digging into those. But I I will say I I look back and I just I am so grateful for the opportunity that I was given um, almost just by chance. Yeah. And but it was people that trusted me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have you know I had history with them. I'd worked with them as as a paralegal and right. then a little bit in law school. But had they not said like look I want to give you this I want to see what you can do. Um, who knows what I could have been doing document review in a yeah. warehouse somewhere. Sure. But I was very very fortunate. Absolutely. I mean you know you think about like the entry level attorney experience. So much of it is like you said don't, you know yeah. move these papers from here to there. You yeah. know to take the Oxford commas out of this. But to be working on that right out of the gate is is significant. Yeah. I mean yeah. And we were we were working really hand in hand with the Boston Globe and the Spotlight right. team yeah. um, because they were approaching a lot of things from the First Amendment mm-hmm. perspective and trying to get access to records from that perspective. We were approaching it from from trying to get you know them through records through the civil action and, and representing the the survivors, yep. um, ultimately it was I think a combination of both, but very much so like the spotlight team on First Amendment grounds getting access yeah. and being able to really open up something that was so secret and so hidden for so long. But um, no, I mean the the experience was amazing. It was you know every day, right? You're yeah. you're, you're watching it on TV every right. single day. You're reading about it in the news every single day for two years, if not more. Now, do you think that that experience at all reinforced your interest? You know, you talked about you know representing the little guy. You yeah. know, I can imagine there's a, a passion, you know, a sense of purpose that comes with doing that type of work. Do you, did that relate at all to you know? Okay, I want to go to the FBI. Like, was is that theme of wanting to be, I guess, on the the right side of uh, a lot of these issues, did that carry through, or do you just always know you were going to go back to that nonetheless, or you know, were you just, I guess, fortunate that that was your first job? Like, how did yeah. how did it connect for you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it necessarily made me think more about 
you know, the FBI. I am a very firm believer that um, the criminal justice system, when it works, it's got strong advocates on both sides. Um, so I really um, admire um, I have close friends who work, pub, you know, do public defense work. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I, I admire that as much as I respect and admire the, the prosecutors. So uh, I think having that mindset makes me a good special agent because I'm able to see the humanity in people and the things that bring people to commit crimes and not automatically, you know, label them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful that I, I have that. Right. Um, but... No, I mean, I think I always wanted to pursue justice and to and to um, make sure that people who couldn't speak for themselves and advocate for themselves felt like they had somebody to okay. do that. And and it's that's I think what brings a lot of meaning to the work that that we do in the FBI. Sure. Um, okay. So fast forwarding a little bit, you had your application on pause. You, know, you have the relocation policy. You're trying to think yeah. things through. Uh, how did the wheels start to turn uh, with that? So husband came around okay. and he's like, and I, it was the, the best gift he could have ever given me. Like okay. one day he just came to me, he says, all right, I'm in. He's okay. like, let's just look at this as an adventure. All right. Because we didn't know where we were going. Yeah. Like, you don't know. You right. just know you're not staying home. Um, and so I remember calling up um, a woman at the FBI in Boston who still works there, who I work with daily. Yeah. She was my, my processing um admin specialist and told her, okay, I'm ready to get started again. And she's like, okay, can you come out for the physical fitness test next week? And I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, And that's what got the wheel starting again. Okay, Um, That's a rough way to start. Like, we're going to come. Now I, you know, I guess like, you know, so I was, obviously we we came to know each other because I was a part of the the program last summer. And I remember the physical fitness test. It was like, I think like 95 every day last summer. Uh, And that was, uh, I mean, I I hope it wasn't that hot then, but but was it the same test, like the mile and a half? Yes, it was the same test. Um, I remember we did it at the the track over at Harvard. Okay. Um, And I remember it being very warm. I don't remember, I think I want to say it was maybe September, yeah. but September can still be warm here. It's still summer. Yeah. Um, I do remember that. We did it really early in the morning, though. Okay. We would so do it like 6 or 7 in the morning. Had you been training before you I did had. this? Okay. So it wasn't just oh, like, yeah. hey, we're doing it, and you've been... No. Yeah. No. Okay. No. As soon as I started the process, um, I was training really okay. regularly, and I knew what the test was. But interestingly, I didn't tell anybody other than my husband. Yeah. And the guy that was training me, mm-hmm. those were the two people that knew I had okay. applied. I, okay. I just kept it really close to the vest um, just, you know, for a lot of reasons. Like, you don't ever want to have to tell somebody that you failed, that you didn't get right. chosen or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so my trainer – and I trained in a group. It was okay. like an outdoor boot camp type okay. thing. So um, everybody was training with me, but he would come up and whisper behind me, <laughs> it's going to hurt a lot more when you <laughs> – no, was there so there's <laughs> now thinking back to when I just so there's like the mile and a half, there's like the three hundred meters, there's the sit ups and yep. there's the push ups, right? Yeah. Now was there an event in particular that you were like you felt confident about and one you like weren't sure about or like how were you feeling about it? Oh yeah. So so you go sit ups, okay. three hundred meter sprint, push ups and the mile and a half. And yeah. the runs were always the hardest events for me. Right. But the three hundred meter in particular. Mm. Um, because I would give myself the test as a practice okay. with a friend of mine on a regular basis and I was always on the cusp on the sprint always some days I'd pass it some days I wouldn't and I remember the day of the test I remember running it and I just remember like bending over and breathing heavy and I just looked I'm like did I pass (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and I had, I had gotten the points that I needed at Good. least for the, for that event. Um, right. I knew my sit-ups and my push-ups, I could, I could, you know, bang those out and, and get some good points there, right? Cause yeah. it's a cumulative test. You have to right. score 12 points cumulatively. So you could have a weak event, mm-hmm. um, and score maybe one or two points in that weak event, as long as the other events made up for it. Awesome. So yeah, that was the, the sprint was the one it still is. We yeah. still have to do it. Oops. Yeah. We still have to do it. Um, yeah, I want to ask, do they check in to see if you're, you're, you're staying uh, in shape or is it? Just, yeah, okay. annually. Right. So annually, um, about five or six years ago, they reinstituted the annual onboard test. Okay. So annually, we have to do it. The one difference is, unlike the test for the applicants, mm-hmm. um, once you're on board, they do um, vary the scoring for your age. Okay. So if you're as you get older, um, you the, don't have to like keep up with. The, yeah, as you yeah. get older, the passing scores are you know okay. are different. Yeah, sure. No, I remember mm-hmm. when we we came out to do it. It was like I was like, okay, push up some fine, sit up some fine, sprints. Okay, that mile and a half. I was like, that's, that's yeah. going to be, and, and you know, ultimately that's what that's what tripped me up. But it's 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 it definitely can be more challenging than it seems. So you have to you have to train for you do. For, for all of that. Yeah. Um, okay, so now you're you you pass your fifth. Physical, you're 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 coming on board. Uh, what was it like out of the gate? Was it you were yeah. you were liking it? I did, I did. Yeah. Um, my first field office was Los Angeles. Okay. So about week seven, when you're down at the academy, you find out your um, your academy your uh, field office okay. assignment. We call it orders night. Yeah. And everybody gets up in front of the class and opens their envelope, and then you go put a pin in the yeah. map where it's like you're survivor going. Survivor almost. Or, or, or like, like I think yeah. from what I heard, like from medical school, where you okay. you know where you're okay. placing. Um, and Los Angeles was ranked number six on mm-hmm. my list, so not bad. Um, and my husband had family in San Diego, so okay. we knew that was going to get us out to, to his side of the family um, sure. for, for a while. And, yeah, it was um, – I liked it. We I, we came in or I came in with a group of agents, either the cla- my class or a class ahead of me or a class behind me. So there was a good group of us brand new yeah. to the Los Angeles field office. And a group of us all were in particular working um, a specific uh, specific area. Okay. So we saw each other every day. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed my experience in Los Angeles. There was something really special about living really close to the beach and having the sunshine, you know, yeah. Coming from the Northeast, having sunshine and warm weather all year round, it was a completely different experience. Okay. But it's a big field office, yeah. and we cover a lot of geography. Okay. Um, so, in uh, traffic is bad. Like the planning that you had to do, yeah. you know, if you had to be a certain place, you really had to be. Yeah. Um, Should planning. leave now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, that was always the answer. Right. <laughs> Let's yeah. Leave now. For sure. Okay. Now, how did you um, how did you come to be a recruiter and, and get involved in that? aspect of the operation. Yeah. So I was in Los Angeles for about eight and a half years working counterintelligence matters. Okay. And I got back to Boston because I had developed a specialty in counterintelligence and Boston was looking for that. So they had posted. So I got back to the Boston field office in 2015, Okay. continued working counterintelligence, and then COVID hit. Things really slowed down. Um, A lot of our um, national security work is in partnership with other federal agencies, with, you know, clear defense contractors, with private sector folks. And so as they shut down and their employees weren't coming to work, Mm -hmm. um, our work dried up a little bit. Yeah. And my cases were kind of, there was one case that was at the end, there was another case that was at the very beginning, and it just happened to be a really good time. Um, The position became open, and so Mm -hmm. I gave it some thought. I had done some work in that area um, as a collateral duty. I was working... um, I was working as part of the application process. I was doing meet and greets, and 
I was a phase two assessor. Okay. So those are two different pieces of the application process. So I was meeting applicants and I found it really rewarding to meet applicants, to talk to them about the FBI, to help them build their resume. Um, the phase two interview assessor position is one where you interview, you do the panel interview for applicants. Mm-hmm. So having had a little bit of that experience, I said, you know, I think I'd, I'd like to give the recruiter and applicant coordinator um, position a try. Okay. And most people that take on that position think of it as, you know, I want to I want to be part of bringing in the next generation. Yeah. I want to be part of... Um, ushering in the agents that are going to replace me and carry on my cases. And that's really a big part of it sure. for me. I want to ask about that too. You know, having, you know, had a you know career now for some time at the FBI, what is, you know, in terms of applicants, in terms of, I guess, the, you talk about the next generation, like what, what is the, to the extent there is one, a difference maybe between the generations, you know, people then versus, you know, young people like myself coming into these roles now or applying, like, is there anything you notice like over time that's become different with uh, the people who are applying? So I've only been I've been doing this specifically yeah. for just under two years. It'll okay. be two years in January, and so I don't have. I mean, I can compare it to the people that were coming in with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, I think a little bit different. You had people who were former military, okay. local police officers, lawyers, um, uh, accountants, things yeah. like that. That was generally what was making up our classes. Now we have opened it up to to anybody with any kind of background as long as you meet the minimum requirements for work experience. So we have educators and we have physical scientists and obviously now computer science is a huge thing. Um, It was kind of a little bit in its infancy really when I was coming in, you know, 16 years ago. But um, so that's, you know, it's really very, very diverse Mm -hmm. with respect to the professional backgrounds. And that's what I think makes us really good at what we do Mm -hmm. because you could be working on a squad. You have somebody with a little bit of legal experience experience. You have somebody who has the finance experience that can show you how to read, you know, you know, financial records and bank records and and understand, you know, that part of your case. You have a a computer scientist who can understand, help you understand a little bit of the, you know, the cyber aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you have a a psychology, you know, someone who, you know, majored in psychology and they're able Mm -hmm. to give you a So you have all of those things together. And I think that makes a really strong organization. Sure. Uh, Jumping off of that, you know, for students out there who are you know, maybe interested in the future of the FBI, what kind of careers are available? Like, what are the, the pathways? Like, how does it, you know, you just mentioned, like, a, how people can be on a team and come from diverse backgrounds. But, like, what kinds of what kinds of careers and career paths are available? Yeah. I would say there is a place for everybody okay. in the FBI, if that's something that you are interested in. The majority of our... Um, workforce are special agents mm-hmm. and well i don't even want to say majority because i don't know the exact numbers yeah. but i would say that that's who we hire um the majority are special agents because we are continually hiring them we have a mandatory retirement age of 57 okay. so people are constantly retiring just by simply right. having a birthday okay. and so um our special agent position is always open for applications. We have everything from car mechanics to language specialists, forensic accountants. We have lawyers who strictly do legal work for us. We have photographers. We have physical scientists, many of whom work down in the lab. Um, we have electronics technicians. We have computer scientists. Mm-hmm. So it's really extremely, you know, 
broad as yeah. far as the the, the specialties and uh, you know that we hire. Sure. They each of them just go through a little bit of a different process. Okay. Um, I focus mostly on the special agent process. It's the most rigorous. It's the most time consuming and lengthiest, but it's also the one that we're continually hiring. Sure. Uh, for you know, one of the roles you mentioned, you know, for for law students, you know, people who are interested in uh, you know roles as lawyers, what is what can you tell me about those roles? I mean, I remember from my time, it's a little bit more specialized. You know, those paths can be a little bit narrower. Can you just talk about that? Yeah. So those the lawyer um, positions or attorney positions mm-hmm. primarily are at headquarters. Okay. Um, that is where you would be working at the general counsel's office, right? And so we have a litigation law unit, we have employment law unit, we have a national security law unit, and cyber unit. Um, and they are the lawyers that aid the um, the field in doing their jobs. Yeah. Um, so all of those positions are in the DC, you know, the Metro DC area, okay. and they're posted on FBIJobs.gov. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. It's not like you'll go every day and see something, but yeah. as tur- there's turnover, you will see postings. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. That if you are interested in doing that kind of work, like check, you know, weekly. Yeah to see if there's an, a new attorney post. I would say for people who are interested in that, work experience is absolutely critical. Right. We're not hiring people right out of law school right. um, for that position. So working in other government agencies, working as a prosecutor, um, mostly for like the federal government would probably be ideal, but even if you came from local or state mm-hmm. um, government and working as a prosecutor or a state's attorney, that kind of experience would be important if you're working administrative law mm-hmm. um, somewhere. That could also be very um, helpful in um, kind of your credit, you know, credentialing for yourself. And what about folks coming from firms who've worked maybe different areas of litigation or corporate law? Are there you know paths for them too, or are we primarily looking for like people who are maybe like AUSAs or you know ADAs or things like that? Yeah, it's not all prosecutors. Okay. I mean, we would definitely, I would say, you know, prosecutors or or yeah. defense attorneys, are, yeah. you know, are going to be extremely valuable just coming from government and understanding the criminal justice system. But no, I think if you're working in the private sector and you're working um, representing clients before, like I said, administrative law judges, or you're working um, types of um, civil litigation that may, you know, you know, a lot of civil litigation is kind of uh, not partnered with, but um, for example, uh, one of the civil litigation cases that I had at the firm Mm -hmm. resulted from a criminal case, right? And it's you like end parallel up, proceedings, yeah, a yeah. parallel proceeding or something that once the criminal case solves, um, resolves. So uh, I would say just getting, you know, gr- good, solid experience, litigation experience would be would be key to okay. being competitive for those positions. And what about within? You know, you mentioned fifty six field offices. Are there? And I, from my experience, there's like there's some lawyers that are you know playing a role there. It seems yeah. like most of the lawyers are at the general counsel's office, but yeah. you know there can also be lawyers who you know work in field offices. Can you uh, talk about that at all? They are, there are, and um, right now my understanding is is that all of the lawyers mm-hmm. who are in the chief division counsel's mm-hmm. uh, office for each field office, each field office has a CDC, mm-hmm. the chief division counsel, and then under that CDC you have ADCs, assistant division counsels. Okay. All of them are agents. Okay. So 
they're agents that came in with a ba- uh, legal background yep. and have decided at some point in their career mm-hmm. that they would like to you know, now move into more of an administrative role. Okay. They're still special agents, but they mm-hmm. can take all that special agent experience that they've developed over mm-hmm. the years and bring that into an advising capacity for other special agents. So when you're like ranking field offices and, and maybe areas, is that something that you, you indicate or is that after you've been a special agent for a while, you can maybe transition to the more administrative legal side? Like how do you, I guess, how do you slot into those roles? Yeah, most people don't, you know, yeah. aren't going to take a position like mine as applicant coordinator or right. recruiter unless they've got, you know, 10 or more years. Okay. Same thing with like an ADC, an assistant division counsel mm-hmm. position. CDC is something it's, that's even higher. That's the, the mm-hmm. lawyer for the field office. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to have significant casework um, okay. and case experience before you would look at something like that. Most because most agents come in because they want to do the field work. They want to do the casework. Sure. Um, and there's not a lot that say, oh, after five years, you know, I yeah. want to move over to the admin side. So it's more about that they're, you know, I guess like self-selection people, it sounds like, would rather be doing casework than some of those roles. Yeah, I would say yeah. in the beginning for the beginning, sure. Okay. In the beginning for sure. And sometimes there's just a good opportunity. for. So, but for myself, you know, I, I have to retire in about nine years. Okay. But – I'm not done. Like, I want to go back and work cases. Um, And so I'm starting to kind of think about my next steps. Sure. Um, This was a great thing for me to take on at this time in my life. I've got a young son. It allowed me some flexibility. But I also was excited and enthusiastic about the job itself, about bringing people into the FBI. So it was a good time for me. But I'd like to get back to working cases myself. Sure. Sounds exciting. Um, So I wanted to ask, like, you know, if you're a student, you're a law student, you're out there and you're thinking about, uh, you know, work for the FBI, like when you're still in school, what should you be thinking about at this point in time? You know, you have to, it sounds like have some post-grad experience. There's some other Mm -hmm. things that just procedurally, but just generally, like what, what are some things you should be thinking about if you're, you know, at the very beginning of this whole journey? Yeah. So we have some automatic disqualifiers. that no matter what um, won't allow you to work for us. So really becoming familiar with our drug policy and knowing what's going to be an automatic disqualifier or what potentially is going to make you have to wait to apply. In summary, um, marijuana use is still illegal under federal law. Mm -hmm. So um, our marijuana policy is that you can't use marijuana or any marijuana products within one year of applying. Mm -hmm. Any other hard drug, it's 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you think of that. If if, If you've experimented a little bit in college, you know, you got to you got to kind of start, you know, keeping Get track of the time of and, and seeing, you know, where it is before you apply. So the drug policy is one of the big ones. Okay. Um, is that just like what trips the most people up? It's it's the thing that prevents a lot of people from applying okay. when they say when they want to okay. and they're ready because I get a lot of people who have applied and we go over their drug use and I'm like okay you got six more months to wait you got to withdraw okay. or you're not eligible to apply until 2025 mm. so um, you know because of your your drug use so that's one thing that is important to keep in mind you know other things that are automatic disqualifiers would be something like um, defaulting on student loans mm-hmm. um, and engaging any kind of prostitution. Mm-hmm. So it's part of the application process to disclose that, um, which brings up the other thing that we look for in our applicants, and that's integrity. Um, one of the things I like to tell people is that we are not looking for perfect people. We understand um, that mistakes are made when we're young, that there's experimentation. Um, I'm not looking for the perfect person. I'm looking for the perfectly honest person, Mm -hmm. the person who can say, I did this, I've learned from it, I've moved on. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's not a part of my life. That's kind of what I'm looking for, the growth that I'm looking for. And I will say that's why our average special agent going to the academy is 30. The average age is 31. 31, wow. So you've you've had time to mature. Right. Maybe you've had one, two, or three different professional jobs. You've been in the workforce. You understand what it's like to work with difficult supervisors under difficult circumstances. You understand what it's like to have made a mistake and own up to it and how that's so much better than making a mistake and trying to bury it, right? Okay. So those are the types of things, core values. FBI's core values are really important to us. Um, as far as our character, and then FBI's core competencies, mm -hmm. okay? We have eight core competencies, leadership, collaboration, interpersonal skills, um, oral commu uh, communication in general. And, you know, that's just a few of them. But those are the things that we're asking for. So when you're getting your work experience, make sure you're getting experience that speaks to those. The ability to work with others across differing views. The ability to communicate both verbally and in writing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, collaboration. You know, working with difficult people. Working with people from different agencies, different organizations, right? So if you're a prosecutor, that's like talking, that's about talking about how you work with defense counsel to come up with, you know, something that serves everybody's purpose. Right. Or, you know, you're in civil litigation, you're mediating, you're negotiating things like that. Um, so that's kind of like, that's, you know, we have our eligibility requirements, right, that can sometimes be hard to get around. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have our kind of professional characters, you know, char characteristics, and then our um, more kind of like, suitability characteristics, which is our core values. Awesome. Uh, now, you talk about uh, values. There's you know, a few questions left there. I want to ask a little about culture. You know, you said you mm -hmm. worked in Los Angeles, and you're obviously familiar with Boston. Do you find a different culture in different field offices? I mean, you're obviously in different parts of the country and, you know, West Coast, East Coast. I mean, there's just so yeah. many differences there. Is there a difference between offices and, and, and culture and things like that? Or is it just sort of the uniform no matter where you're working? Or what was your experience like with that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that, you know, Boston is made up of, yes, we have a lot of people that are were born and raised here and eventually, you know, got right. back here. And a lot of our professional support staff were, were you know, from here. Yeah. But as far as agents, you know, every field office have, has agents from all around the country, yeah. right? Because that's where they get assigned. And a lot of them, you know, find it to be home and they, you know, make their home in their community there and they stay. So, um, I'm sure, you know, I've heard, like, the difference between Los Angeles and Boston, I don't think it was that, yeah. you know, that different um, size-wise. Los Angeles was a lot bigger. Right. So you had that to kind of contend with. But, I mean, I heard, you know, like, if you go to Honolulu, you know, everybody's wearing Hawaiian shirts. That's, okay. ju that's just, like, their professional dress. Yeah. So maybe that adds a little bit to a different culture. Okay. Uh, whereas you're going into, you know, you go to New York, New York and everybody's in their business suits. Right. But, um no, I mean, I think a lot of it is is kind of top down, right? It's it's who's running the division, and you know their um, you know their priorities, and and you know are they really focused on morale and and keeping yeah. morale high and doing community you know events mm -hmm. and um, so I mean I think universally I'm sure every office has their little you know quirks, but sure, yeah. Um, just finishing up, what would you say has been the, is the most challenging part of working at the FBI? Um, it's a good question. I don't know. I think, 
I mean, a lot of people will say right off the bat technology, okay. which is kind of strange yeah. because, you know, our tech, our technology works when we really need it to work, like okay. on the stuff that we really need it to yeah. work on. But like our computers, yeah. you know, our, we always, you know, there's a kind of a joke, you know, the FBI gets, you know, yesterday's technology tomorrow. Okay. Um, but um, that being said, we do the work despite that, you okay, know, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's, um, you know, I'm not saying that that's the biggest challenge. I mean, I think I sometimes find challenged it, it challenging when um, I can't share, you know, the work that I'm doing right, yeah. with loved ones or um, when there's, you know, there's misinformation, you know, publicly yeah. um, and you can't correct it. You right. know, there's like, you know, and I think that's, um, you know, that can sometimes be challenging, but it's super important to just know every day that, you know, you're going to work and you're doing the right thing. And, you know, when you go to work, everybody around you is in the same boat. You yeah. know, none of them are out there, right. you know. Um, they can relate. They can all relate. So yeah. you have that, you have that kind of camaraderie and that um, understanding that everybody's, you know, in the same boat and dealing with kind of the same things. Yeah. So um, that might be one of the, you know, more challenging aspects of the job whereas everybody else can go home and kind of talk to their spouse and download for the day right, or, yeah. or their neighbors you know at the barbecue they can talk about their work woes right. um, it's not so easy for us yeah for sure I, I can imagine um, and, and my, I guess my last question uh, conversely what is the most rewarding part of working at the FBI I love interacting with the public, Um, whether that is doing something like this or going to my local high school and teaching a forensics class or just even, I mean, you're executing a search warrant and you're going in there and, um, you know, there's there's people behind all of that, yeah. right? There's somebody that lives there that maybe did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the spouse, they're the child, they're the mother mm-hmm. of the person maybe you just arrested. Mm-hmm. Well, being, I think, somebody that can um, try and relate to that person, yeah. um, I love interacting with the community in all those different ways sure. and being somebody that, you know, there's a lot of people that go through their entire lives and will never meet an FBI agent. And yeah. I think it's really important. We go back to relationships. It's yeah. really important that if I'm the only person that they ever meet, mm-hmm. I want that to be a really positive interaction to the extent possible, right? When you, you're searching through somebody's house, it's a pretty negative experience. Yeah. But um, to the extent possible, I want it to be the most positive interaction um, I can. Great. Awesome. Um, well, uh, Courtney, thanks for coming to talk to us yeah. today. This has been BC Law's Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blakely. Again, we're talking to Courtney Pillsbury, FBI agent, BC Law alum and recruiter. Uh, yeah, thank you again. This was a great conversation. Great. And uh, until next time, that'll do it. Thanks, guys, for tuning in.